Welcome to the Highfalutin Podcast. The Highfalutin Podcast is a conversational exploration into the topics of the day framed around a theme chosen in advance by your hosts, Monica Schrager, Ryan Norsworthy, and me, Matt McCarthy. The theme of the fourth episode of the Highfalutin Podcast is protest. All right. Welcome to the High Flutin Podcast. This episode's theme is protest. I think this topic came to the surface because it's impossible to ignore the protests that have been occurring throughout our cities, nationwide and internationally. I also personally wanted to talk about this topic because a lot of protests are uh, based in the inequalities surrounding race. It's just something that isn't discussed enough um, and it's been ignored for far too long. Um, Now, thinking about protests and race, it occurred to me that both of you were involved in a protest that was centered around race. Um, Would you mind sharing your experience with this particular protest, Matt, Monica? Sure, that's right. uh, We we were talking about the the protest episode, and we kind of were on the fence of, you know, do we talk about this or not? But it it felt a little bit disingenuous to me not to mention it. So I thought we, we we should talk about it. But when uh, when we were in college, Monica and I, and uh, Monica was a senior, I was a freshman way back when. This is like 1995-ish. The, uh, um, there was a protest against the college newspaper. The uh, We both worked for the college newspaper. Monica was the op-ed editor, and I was a, a young, uh, bright-eyed uh, freshman reporter. And um, there was a fight that broke out of campus and, and I had done some reporting on that story. The fight was had broken out at a fraternity. They had an event and um, the members of the fraternity were not interested in talking. There were a couple of people arrested, but I was able to get a copy of the police report. Um, police report referred to the people who were arrested as MBs, which is which is police code for male black. And um, we used that in the story. We quoted that in the story. And all hell broke loose kind of after that story hit the, the street. Um, the, the group of students came out and, and rightfully so said, you know, race had no, race made no, did not play a part in this story. Um, you shouldn't be mentioning the, the race of the two individuals that were, were arrested. And um, we said, well, we didn't mention the race. We just quoted the police report. And, um, you know, but this group of students demanded a front, they, and they called themselves the concerned black students. Um, they demanded a front page apology in, in, the, in the newspaper. And um, that didn't feel right to us to like put it on the front page. So we ended up putting it in the staff editorial. And it was a little bit of a watered down apology. If I remember, it was like, oh, sorry if you're, you know, sorry if you're mad, you know, one of those. Um, and um, that after that edition of the paper came out that day on Friday, this group of students gathered all the papers together and took them down to the student union and shredded them in the, in the cafeteria, ripped them up into pieces. And it was like waist high newspaper everywhere. And those of us who worked on the newspaper were very you know, frustrated by this. We felt like, well, you know, this is freedom of speech is one thing, but you can't grab all the newspapers and destroy them before anybody gets a chance to read them. And then that felt like destruction of property. And we were frustrated at the university's response to this. They didn't want to punish anybody. They didn't want to hold anybody accountable for this. Um, 
So the next week I wrote a column in the newspaper that was a little antagonistic that probably should have never run, but it was called how to protest effectively. And it was, it said, you shouldn't destroy property. You should organize and you should. And um, the day that came out, that's exactly what they did. They, this concerned black students um, came into the college newspaper office and occupied it and sat in for 10 days. And um, the, uh, they, they sat in, they stayed there 10 days, 10 nights and, and emerged finally Easter Sunday after the sit-in had ended. And um, I learned a ton from that. It was extremely uncomfortable being on, on being protested, being on that side of a protest. Um, there were a lot of, a lot of emotion and a lot of names being thrown around and when we were being called racist and, and things like that. And my, my big takeaway from it, Monica, I want to hear what, what you have to say, obviously as well, but my big takeaway from it was, you know, years later, I didn't feel like this at the time, but that there was racism, right? And it's systemic racism. We didn't intend to hurt anybody. We didn't mean to, to do anything wrong, but we did. The race shouldn't have been mentioned in the story like that. I'll never forget, I remember going down and, you know, they were in the, the basement of University Hall and they were, you know, that's where our newspaper office was. And then they were, I don't know, at different times, there were 20 or 50 or 15 students there. They were all kind of going in and out. And I would try to go down and talk to them sometimes and try to understand where they were coming from and, and see if I could get them to understand where I was coming from. And I remember a young woman down in that, in that office at one point just telling me, like, it doesn't matter if you meant to hurt somebody or, or if you think they should be hurt by what you did, like when you hurt somebody, the humane reaction is to apologize. And that resonated with me and it still resonates with me to this day. And, you know, it's been a lot of years since then, but I don't know, Monica, I'm sure you, you have different feelings and, and reactions toward it. And um, that was your senior year. So you had already been a part of the newspaper for that was, you know, that was the end of your senior year. So going on four years, um, what are you when we did protest is that what popped into your mind and, and what do you think of protest yeah well that topic in particular when I still think about it it still makes me pretty angry and it still is an emotional one only because that newspaper was my home you know at college it was where I learned the most it was where I grew the most closest to a lot of people who I'm still close to today um, and so it was sort of a violation um, and it felt like a violation, you know, to have that protest take place. Um, I wasn't as directly involved as you were in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, I was in the office that night when they came in, said they were going to peacefully protest. I said, okay, we're still putting together our paper. Five minutes later, they said they're turning everything off and we were sort of forced to leave. And that was very emotional. Our friend Charlie had to kind of talk me out because I didn't want to leave. Um, my anger, though, is mostly directed at the university and kind of how they handled it. You know, they asked us not to say anything. And yet this concerned black students was in the national press slandering the paper, you know, in addition to the university. And I didn't care so much about the university. It was more like the paper because obviously there were some misunderstandings there. Obviously, things everyone could have done something differently. But I feel the university, like you mentioned, didn't do anything. They were supposed to be the grown up in the room. You know, they're supposed to be the one, you know, helping direct and guide. And they sat on it for a long time out of fear of, you know, I think their reputation. And so a lot of my anger is largely directed at them and how that got handled. Um, obviously though, I'm sure things could have been done, you know, I, I, things could have been done differently on each side, like you mentioned, but obviously this group of students had grievances that they maybe they were discussing or things we didn't really know about, um, you know, that they that weren't being addressed by the university, so. 
I, I look back on it and it's like, it was such a missed opportunity, I feel like, because, you know, it, it was such a good teaching moment that, for, you know, we, we, that never came to, to pass, I feel like. I don't know. I just feel like if the university would have sat everybody down in the room together and been like, let's just talk it through guys. And let's, you know, nobody's wrong here. This is a safe space. Like, let's just talk it through. Let's not yell at each other. And, you know, maybe that would have fallen flat on its face, but I don't remember a big effort like, uh, like that trying to happen, you know? Exactly. And, there wasn't, they didn't, they didn't make that effort. They were just telling us not to say anything. And then I don't, we have no idea what they were saying to the other group. Yeah. Um, so, and then I wonder about the long term, longer term repercussions. Like I graduated that year um, I know you were still there, but I wonder if it had an impact or it had an effect. Like, did things improve from a, you know, black student perspective after that? You know, did they feel they were more represented where they needed to be? I have no idea because I was gone. But I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we did I make changes, you know, as a result of that protest, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there was uh, there was staff that were brought in that probably wouldn't have been brought in, you know, had that protest not happened. Um, they really shined a light on, you know, like, this is a part of your community that you have to report on and you have to make sure is represented. And like, I think we were trying to do that, but you know, we weren't like, there wasn't great, like African American representation on the newspaper. We, there were, you know, some black staffers, but not, you know, there wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that we talked about every week and like, how do we make the black experience, you know, how do we, how do we make sure that that's represented in the newspaper? And that's probably something we should have been doing. So I, I think there were goods that came from the protest. Like, I think that it was an, all told, I think that they achieved some things. Like, was it what they wanted to? I don't know. Michael, what else do you think of with, uh, with protests? Yeah. So the first image that comes to mind, which I've, and the action, which I've always found really iconic is um, that image from the 1968 Olympics, Mexico City with Tommy right. Smith and John Carlos, um, who raised their you know, fist in the air wearing black glove Iconic. for the whole of the national anthem. They also, like they wore no shoes, but only socks to represent black poverty. Smith wore a black scarf to represent black pride and Carlos wore his tracksuit unzipped to represent solidarity with blue collar workers. Um, and their react, the reaction to that, like they were, I mean, they, the president of the IOC, I think, wanted to kick them out of the village and like strip them of their medals. Um, and they had a lot of death threats and, you know, a lot of negative press when they got home. But what they did was standing up for what they believed in. And it's, I mean, they're still iconic today, like they're public speakers and stuff. So that's just an image that really resonates for me when I think protest. Um, but it's also an example of how protests can take different forms. You can get out and march in that street, you know, you can take advantage of a moment like that. Um, you can choose where to put your dollars, where to eat or not. Like I'm not eating at Jimmy John's due to that CEO's love of big game hunting, you know, and Us either, I, yeah. I just learned about like the 86th list on Instagram. Have you seen this? It no. exposes racism and sexism in Chicago restaurants. Um, and a colleague of mine pointed out to me and she's like places that we really love. Like now we see how they treat their employees and we're not going to go there anymore. Obviously not everyone's in full function mode right now during the coronavirus, but it's, there's, there's also just, it's different ways to protest, you know, it's, it's boycotting a, personally. And that was like. a funny reckoning that took place. Like, you know, as the pandemic started to play out, it was like the restaurant industry. Like there were a number of restaurants that, you know, the employees came out and said, we've been treated like garbage here for years. And that hot, the workplace has been hostile for years or, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And like you said, like restaurants we loved, like it was, yeah. it was painful to see them on the list and, and not, you know, to cross them off your list. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting reckoning that took place. Well, it's, it's because they aren't dependent, you know, they, they all got furloughed or kind right, of laid right. off, you know, so it's like their livelihood isn't necessarily dependent on that anymore. Like it was like I talked to a colleague who 
has her roommate um, works at one restaurant group, but works for three of the restaurants in that group and is considered working part-time for each of those restaurants. So isn't considered a full-time employee with benefits. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that doesn't seem quite right. It's still yeah, all under true. the same umbrella. Yeah. I think it's interesting how uh, the pandemic has brought so many of these um, issues to bear. Um, and I think it's just another example of sometimes that spark, the straw that broke the camel's back. It's not necessarily the same issue, but it brings other issues that, you know, racism has been a systemic problem in our country since its inception, but yet it was um, a virus that brought it out. And now highfalutin news. So I'd like to start with some good results from protesting. Um, just last week, actually, here in Chicago, the Chicago Park District unanimously voted to change the name of Douglas Park, which was named after a Civil War U.S. Senator from Illinois, um, Stephen Douglas, who agreed with states' rights to have slaves during the Civil War or during that time period. Lincoln-Douglas um, debates, right? Yep, and the famous Lincoln, he famously debated Lincoln as well. So, and actually, what's really great is this protest was started by students at a school there. It's in Lawndale. It's in a black community and these students since 19, 2017 have like gotten signatures and brought it to the board this request and they've been persistent in that and it has resulted in some protests in the park but they just agreed to change the name to represent frederick douglas adding an extra s versus stephen douglas so this is just a great example of like protesting in particular by the youth you know in a community for their community. Um, and it'll now, that park will now honor an abolitionist, abolitionist versus a supporter of slavery. And this is also, I think, a great example to youth that like they can see their change, you know, that w some of the action they take has changed and hopefully that will inspire them to vote when they get to voting age. Um, so this is just an exciting example that um, I wanted to kind of kick off with because it's kind of a silver lining for protesting and for youth led movements in black communities. That's great, it's a win. Yes. Yeah. The uh, obviously the one that I feel like we've seen in the news a lot lately is the you know the protests that were up in Kenosha and the uh, and the uh, you know the unrest that that followed along with those protests up there. The um, obviously there was there was national news with the with the shootings that that took place up there. Ryan, you were actually in Kenosha that day, weren't you? <laughs> Coincidentally, uh, yes, uh, I had. Uh, uh, gone for my longest ride ever um, to Kenosha County. We weren't technically in Kenosha, the city. Um, but uh, just doing our thing, uh, riding bikes, um, and came back uh, to hear that yet there was another um, black man slain, unarmed black man. Well, you know, that's under suspicion, I suspect. Um, but, uh, you know, I, and th that was the example I was gonna kind of bring up, but it, that it just keeps happening. Um, I get in discussions with friends and talk about um, certain aspects of, of racism. And it, it doesn't, lately, it doesn't seem to take very long before I'm proven right um, very quickly uh, in the news cycle because it's, uh, it's an everyday occurrence. Um, and it's just now that we're getting to see it um, with you know technology being the way it is and everybody having a, a camera in their pocket so uh yeah i mean for me the news uh story is um that 
I wonder where these protests will go I, because I think they have, they're going to have much more of a longing, uh, lasting effect than previous ones because I think people have had it and they're and they're so much better informed now. Um, and it's it's impossible to deny. I think it's it's impossible to be on the sidelines anymore. It's like if you're not um, if you're not doing something about it, you're you're complicit. Yeah. So, no, I agree. And the one thing with Jacob Blake too that was slightly different to me, or that I think will maybe resonate with a lot of people a little differently, is he had three kids in his the backseat of his car, including his eight-year-old, and it was his eight-year-old's birthday. He had a three-year-old and a five-year-old and an eight-year-old in that car. And that just I think to like, I mean, that one gets me very emotional. Well, you know what I think what I pull from it, and yes, I, that is um it's horrifying. Um but I don't think it's that does stand out, but I think the standout is the reaction in that it was a big, not that this doesn't happen all the time, but there was a, uh, almost a, a, almost immediate counter protest. What was he doing? Um, you know, why was he reaching in his car? Why didn't he, uh, just obey, uh, commands? And then furthermore, the, the kid that drove up with a long gun from Illinois to protect property and being defended by the president. Uh, yeah. I, so I think it's it's kind of a real tipping point. Um, uh, and you know, there's another case where I'm, uh, I was gonna speak about in sports where it's just, um, I don't know if it's uh, protest fatigue, if it's people that are, are actively um, anti-protest uh, or if we're going to be permanently at Logger's head because we can't see eye to eye. Yeah, I am. Um, you make a good point there because I think protesting, I think people getting out there in the street to march for what they believe in. And you're right, it was great that it resulted in Kenosha right after what, everything that happened. But you're right, this idea of like white militia with machine guns, you know, freely being able to kind of walk around these protests and feel they're yeah, protecting all... places. I'm like, this is really, if any, like if anyone else, obviously anyone of color tried to bring a machine gun in to say they were just, you know, protecting themselves. And it wasn't themselves. Yeah. Or others. Yeah, exactly. I was reading an article about that white, white militia piece and the, you know, black people did try that in the sixties. It was called the black Panthers, you know, exactly. and the, and the, um, and the minute like the, you know, the black Panthers mobilized and started walking around with guns in California, the NRA came out and said, well, that's not what we meant. You know, yeah, they changed the laws. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm always somebody who's, you know, not a supporter of like open carry and or concealed carry or carry in general. Um, however, I, maybe that's the way to, I, I don't know, that this sounds crazy, but the, um, you know, if, what if people on the left start doing the same thing, you know, then you got people with guns on both sides pointed at each other and like, a, you know, a, a, a <laughs> things won't end well. Things won't no, no, end no, well. That, that won't end well. Like I really <laughs> should have thought that one out before I started talking about it. Yeah, but, um, things won't end well. But the militia group, and the other in interesting thing about that is these protests, like you're seeing to an extent that I haven't seen before, I don't think in my lifetime, these like, professionals come out on both sides like these agitators you know like you see these yeah. like the these crazy like you know like right-wing people like coming in who are gonna you know like protect law and order and then you see like some of the you know these so-called you know like the the anti-fascist groups right like coming in and they're gonna agitate and like both sides are being accused of it 
you know, yeah. and I don't, I don't, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Right. But, um, that's a part of it that's distasteful, you know, whereas people trying to like ride the coattails of these protests to try to like stir something up or to like try to, you know, prove a point by inciting violence. Like that's, that's really unfortunate. I did see just in the news as of Friday over the last 24 hours on his Twitter feed, President Trump attacked Democrats and racial injustice protesters nearly a dozen times. So we are seeing sort of one thing his administration has inspired is a lot of protest really on both sides. And he continues, he's the one fueling the fire by in, you know, insulting, you know, protesters who aren't, don't necessarily agree with him. And that is again, similar to going back to our experience with the Depalia, we don't have a parent in the room. Like where is if you think of, you know, him as representing the university of today, we are not, there's no guidance, you know, coming from, an administration where you would well, it's, step, it's a step worse. He's taken sides. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it started in that. In, was it North Carolina that that protest with the uh, all the yeah, uh, Charlottesville? Yeah. Right. It, where the, all the yeah. although you know the the white guys came out with their like pitchforks and or their torches. It was candles or whatever. Yeah. They were trying to like yeah. You know, For sure. Yeah, the um, and you know there were very fine people on both sides of that project. Well, and he, he tried to be the parent, but he revealed himself in doing so. I know, yeah, I know, right. exactly. Now it's time for highfalutin arts. A lot of uh, interesting art coming out of the uh, pandemic, and a lot of interesting arts coming out of protests. Um, Ryan, I think you wanted to talk about the murals. Is that right? Well, just in a in a um, in a general sense of how um, you get uh, beauty out of tragedy, and that um, one uh, visual example when there were riots in Chicago and many of uh, storefronts were torn down or you know broken and um, looted, unfortunately. Um, and so all the shops all the, boarded up the windows. Yeah, all the yeah. shops were boarded up, and uh, most of them, um, or a great many of them, were uh, painted over with beautiful murals. Um, and it was really uh, great to see. Um, I remember taking a picture of uh, uh, Sam Cooke. Um, I know it's been a long time, but change is going to come. Um, Lyric uh, had been uh, painted on a uh, boarded up uh, storefront, and I just thought. Um, for a while there, there was a lot of unity and it was beautiful um, to see um, that out of uh, tragedy was coming, we were coming together. Um, just like 9-11 has just passed, um, you know, there, there's this horrible tragedy and for a brief time, we all kind of, uh, in one way or another, gave each other a hug. Um, it's unfortunate that we can't stay in that state more often. Um, and that it takes tragedy to bring that out. Um, but it seems that's the way things are. Um, I also kind of was curious as to why um, or what kind of music would come out of this and why we haven't heard, maybe I'm not paying attention enough, but why, we, why haven't uh, we heard protest songs? Um, um, you're not listening to the new T-Swift? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> it's the protest on that. It's uh, uh, folklore. No, it's uh, come from the pandemic. It's... Uh... <laughs> No, I haven't, I haven't heard it. But. <laughs> there is a good song on that. One, is that right? That yeah. I, one that I really like. But, but regardless, uh, there is a lot of, you're right. We're getting some artists who are coming out. But remember, I mentioned 
I think in a past one, I think some of the artists that I've heard about um, are wanting to make something important during this time. So I think we might not have seen it yet, you know, or we're just starting to see some of yeah. what they're creating during this time. But I think it's uh, some of it might be very emotional to them versus, you know, um, about society. But we'll we'll see. The protest you know, I, songs, that's a great, you know, there, there are so many great protest songs. It's such an interesting canon of, you know, the medium, the, um, and we, we've started to put together a, a playlist for protest songs and, and you'll be able to see that on our website, the highlandhighfalutinmedia.com. Uh, um, we have a Spotify playlist, but so many great songs, uh, you know, Sam Cooke, uh, Change is Gonna Come, that, that was one of the ones that, that I added to the list that I love. The, uh, and that's one that, that Obama used to play, right? That was meaningful for him. The um, music has really been like a, a way to rally people around these protests and a way to, to lift people's spirits, you know, d during these dark times. Um, I don't know, you guys wanna talk about protest songs? Like Monica, are there some protest songs that you wanna highlight? Ryan, are there some that you want? To talk one about. one that comes to mind when I think protest too, but I also uh, I think it's Richie Haven singing "Freedom" at Woodstock. Did yeah, you guys know the yeah. story behind that? So he yeah. was he was up first at Woodstock, and he was only supposed to go on for a small amount of time, but everyone else was late. So every time he tried to leave, they kept telling him to like go back. So he played two hours, everything he knew, and his song "Freedom" just I think is a is a great song. I mean, there's not many lines to it; it's basically saying the word freedom, but it's just the way he does it and his musical style I think is pretty cool so check it out if you haven't well at that yeah, same like, event the uh, Hendrix doing the Star Spangled Banner right I mean yeah that's like a, yeah. yeah yeah like so patriotic but you know his take on it is a bit of a protest but it's also like it's you, it also shows you that you can love America and be patriotic in, in protest right and like there's nothing more American than than protesting exactly that's how we got this country in the first place mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah <laughs> um uh the first thing that comes to mind when you when I uh, think of protest songs is uh, Slice and the Family Stones. Um, there's a riot going on. Yeah. Um, but I quickly pivoted to uh, just black music in general is has a tendency to be it's all protest. I mean, to name one protest song uh, that, that stands out, it's just like it's just genres like subgenres that stand out. Um, you know, I think about. Uh, Ice Cube and NWA. I think about um, I think about even uh, Prince um, in, in his uh, subtle ways and uh, more artistic ways. Uh, some would say, um, but you know, uh, black music as a whole um, is uh, entrenched in in, in uh, protest. Yeah. yeah, Public Enemy comes to mind too. Um, yeah, of course, yeah. I, mean, I love Chuck D, he's one of my favorite. Um, but also, <laughs> I know, exactly. But you know what too, I read something that was interesting that it was, um, it was a singer I think named Odyssey, have you heard of him? But he was talking about how he learned more about black history from black music, like oh, rap yeah. and hip hop, like that is how he learned. That is how like he got educated on what had happened in the world for I the black community. Like well. that's yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Being from Chicago. It's not just you know, music, but it's educating, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. Being from Chicago, Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, you know, I mean, I so, mean, so just, many anthems. There's nobody, there's nobody you couldn't name that, yeah. that didn't yeah. do yeah. a song that'd be called a protest song. Yeah. And that's not just black artists, but I, you know, no. that's um, um, what comes to mind in this uh, day and age. One of the things I think of was, you know, Bob Dylan, obviously, you know, he, he's kind of synonymous with protest songs. Right. You know, the uh, times are changing, blowing in the wind. The uh, um, 
but there's a time when he went electric, right, and kind of stopped. He got away from those overtly political songs. And um, and a lot of his fan base was unforgiving of this. You know, want, you know, once an artist does something people like, they want that artist to just produce the same thing over and over again. And um, he was asked at a press conference, like, you know, or, why don't you still do protest music? Are you ever going to get back to protest music? And, you know, a very kind of disheveled, like red-eyed Bob Dylan said, all I do is protest which I always thought was a great line. It's like, you know, that's, it may not be, the subject matter may not necessarily be overtly about, you know, that, but Ryan, just like you're talking about black music, like each instance of it is a protest in and of itself. And, you know, and they're, they're trying to, to educate and bring things to light. And just the act of like, sometimes just the act of creating is a protest, even if it's not, you know, even if the subject matter isn't about a protest. It's funny, I, in the back of my head, I can hear people going, it's not just black music. <laughs> <laughs> All music matters, Ryan. <laughs> and now, highfalutin sports. The, um, this was big sporting weekend, obviously, the return of the NFL, which, which I was very excited about. I was very uh, skeptical about it, I have to admit. And I, a lot of me was kind of rolling my eyes and like, really, like you're gonna try to play games now in this weird time and everything. But God, did I enjoy it. It was so good to see the games and it was so good to, you know, have some sort of normalcy sort of uh, back in our lives a, a little bit. And it was weird, right? Like there are empty stadiums and the fan noise. It's like a laugh track on a, you know, on an old sitcom. Um, but damn it, was it fun to watch some games. And, uh, one of the things that I was interested about is the is the 180 the NFL has kind of taken on like the social justice issues and the and the protests and, and everything else. And you know, I watched my Bears game yesterday. I watched the Bears come from behind and beat Detroit. And um, the uh, there was there was some kneeling and during the anthem at the start of that game, Keem Hicks and some other players. And um, you saw the NFL is, has an initiative where players are wearing the names of some of the victims of uh, police brutality um, and putting them right on the helmets, the, the Brianna Taylors and the, um, some of the other victims. And, you know, that, that's all being like um, openly promoted by the NFL. And, and you know, that, that action is being endorsed by the NFL. Um, even the Dallas Cowboys, like Jerry Jones came around and said, like, if the, if the players are going to protest, you know, we're going to let them do their thing, which of course drew the ire of the Trumps and the Eric Trump tweeted that, you know, football's officially dead to him now that, uh, you know, the, uh, now that the Cowboys are going to allow players to protest. Um, I think it's all great. And I think it's, a, you know, it's a bit of it smacks of like daylight and a dollar short to me. Like, you know, you blackballed Colin Kaepernick for years and, you know, the guy still should be good enough to be on an NFL team and is not. Um, so that part of it, like, you know, feels a little bit disingenuous. Um, but it's good to see this, this kind of widespread acceptance of it. And it feels like kind of like, like a moment has happened here where like, it's become so mainstream and so accepted that this is going on that like even the NFL is acknowledging that like we have a problem with racial justice and um, we need to do something about it and support the, these communities. And if the NFL is on board, my God, you know, that the, you know, the, the ship has sailed to, you know, it's, it's no longer some boutique cause. It's now a mainstream um, 
you know, movement with with sort of mainstream um, mechanisms and, and that kind of money behind it. Um, that's when that's when change starts to the real change starts to happen. I think when it when it becomes part of the vocabulary, it becomes part of just a part of the conversation, and it's not this. Oh my God, what are those guys doing anymore? It's yeah, they're they're supporting their their rights and their communities, and we're going to get behind them and support it. And that's obviously we're doing that because that's what what you should be doing. Um, that that 180 that they took to me, the NFL took, feels great. Love it. Well, I think. Uh... I agree with a great deal of what you said, but I do um, have a few points to make. Um, one is that the, it's kind of being co-opted. I think some of the bite has been taken out of it, right? Some guys are going to stand, some guys are going to lean. Um, we already know it's coming. Um, and the NFL is doing what they're doing now because they don't have a choice. Um, because there's too many of their marquee players um, who are – you know, uh, asking, uh, demanding this. Um, well, I think when the, when the NFL, when the NBA, um, when those players banded together and like said, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go out and play tonight. Like, I think that shook some of the, the owners and other leagues and stuff. And, you know, I think they, uh, well, I think it started, uh, uh, to be honest, I think it started, um, earlier than that. I, yeah. uh, when the NFL players, um, when they're, uh, after the George Floyd, um, murder, uh, and the subsequent riots, that's when the NFL players, I think, sent out a, a, a Zoom call um, or message and said, you know, they, they banded together and they're like, we're not going to take this. And <clears throat> I think it was the next day, uh, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, said, you know, we were wrong about Cap and uh, Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick pro uh, protesting. And um, so this, that, you know, it was already some, some, headway had already been made uh, in that regard. So you knew there was gonna be something um, done, um, especially with the model of the NBA going first um, and you know, so prominently um, and more prominently doing these things. Um, it's on their bubble court. Um, they only play on one court or one facility um, in their NBA bubble in Orlando, um, where it's, you know, Black Lives Matter is written <laughs> and huge letters across the court. Um, the NFL is doing some of that, um, but it's, you know, not as much. Um, unfortunately, what stood out to me um, was the first game of the season was actually Thursday night, um, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the uh, Super Bowl champs with their young superstar uh, quarterback who um, was part of that Zoom call that we talked about, um, Patrick Mahomes, the second. Um, we're playing the um, Houston Texans, and um, they did uh, dual um, moment of unity. I think they called. Well, it. yeah. Well, they did the national anthem, mm -hmm. and they did the um, what is now being dubbed the black national anthem. Mm -hmm. And the Texans said, you know, they voted just not take part of that, but they wanted to, you know, show some symbolism or social unity. Um, and support for those that were um, on the field and kneeling or not kneeling. And so they came out and had a moment of unity um, at the center of the field, uh, linking arms together, and just a moment of silence to speak about, to draw attention to all the causes that um, people have been protesting. Um, Black Lives Matter, um, against police brutality, and racism, and they were booed. Interestingly enough, on the broadcast I saw, the booing was muted. 
um, they just muted the whole thing. So it was a moment of silence. And I was just like, wait, I don't hear anything. <laughs> you know, shouldn't I hear something? And uh, come to find out when I watched newscasts and other broadcasts that there was booing when they linked arms. Um, so that's protest of protest. Um, and I think some of it is just fatigue, uh, like, you know, protest fatigue, which is um, not much better. Um, but uh, there's people uh, that are actively booing this moment. Um, well, we had, we had a friend so who had a reaction stuff. to that on, on social media. You know, he said that the, like the people who would actually go to an NFL game during a pandemic, like you're, you're surprised that those people would, would boo unity. Like that, that Venn diagram is one solid circle, I think, you know. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I read about that too. And I, I meant to mention that as well. And right, thank you for bringing that up. That was disappointing to say the least. Um, it, you know, it's nice to see that moment and to, um, wh how anybody could react to it that way. I, I get the fatigue, I get the, you know, whatever. Um, but boy, is that disappointing. Right, because you could have chose just to ignore it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you paid your money to see your favorite players um, and they link hands to, you know, show you what they're, they're concerned with. Then your reaction is, ah, play ball. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the drinks were flowing, which is no, uh, you know, no excuse. But uh, I also had that moment while I was watching the NFL games yesterday and seeing like there were no there were no stands in the field at the at the Bears game in Detroit but they like after the game like you're watching some of the local like uh footage you know the coverage and they like cut the Salernos and you know Tinley Park or whatever and there's you know there's a hundred idiots there all you know arms around each other drinking beers like screaming you know go Bears go Bears no social distancing no masks no anything like um I do worry that you know even if the players are being careful and if the you know they're not doing you know fans in the stadium just the act of like people getting together to watch the games and everything will lead to drinking and bad decision making <laughs> Well, it's also, I, I bring it up because you speak about the progress and it, it's just a reminder. Uh, when all these protests, as a black person, when all these protests are going on, I said, that's a great thing. It's more people are being informed. Um, uh, hopefully this will bring about change, but it's, it's with skepticism because it's always, not skepticism of the cause, but skepticism of if anything's going to be done. Because we've been here before, right? like we've, you know, the what we began about talking about in the beginning, you guys process that was 30 years ago, and that was symbolic like you know, 30 years before that. It was just, and we're in the same, there's been progress, yeah, but not nearly enough. No, I mean, I'm sure you're right, and I didn't mean to paint it like you know, now no, 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 it's gonna come, you know, the but you're right, right. to you're right to exercise a skepticism and to call me on it. The um. I think that there's something that like when it goes mainstream like that, like when the Dallas Cowboys and the NFL are embracing it, like, I feel like, like with the gay rights, like it felt like but, that was a cause but that like, but, wait, but they're not though. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I mean, maybe the, maybe the owners, I think tipping a hat to um, what he needs to do because his players are, you know, it's going to be this way. I mean, um, they had their, you know, chance to like squash all this shit. They tried their best. 
But I mean, if ownership was going to like come down against us now, they were clearly going to face a huge that's backlash. And clearly that's what I'm saying. So I'm saying like they don't have a choice. So I'm not going to applaud them for doing what they should have been doing. No, anyway. yeah, I'm not trying to um, applaud them. I'm just saying like when you, when you like now you're right. They have no choice. And so when you see that things have gone to that level, like it, it feels like a tipping point. Yeah, but one my point is is that the the fans aren't necessarily on board with that. And right. that's, you you know, that's kind of Googling society thing. at large. You know what I'm saying? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they're actively protesting. And that's, that's why the NFL is held out to this point, in my opinion, because they know there's a fan base that you know, still wants to fly Confederate flags at you know, NASCAR events and still wants to you know, go to games when we are told not to gather. But the point I'm trying to make, I guess, is that there certainly is that constituency, constituency of the NFL, and um, and that is a powerful constituency. But the NFL can no longer like ignore these things and like just cater to that constituency. They they have to come up and say this is wrong, and you know we're going to support right. these players who are who are supporting who are protesting against this. And that wasn't the case before until this year. Um, and you know that's why to me it feels like a tipping point like i don't think the owners deserve some sort of boatload of credit i don't think that you know like well they're doing the right thing god bless them like i you know i don't that's not my approach it's just that like now they can't not do the right thing and that's why it feels like a tipping point to me like if they were to come out and say like no you can't kneel and you can't you know acknowledge any of this stuff and you just just go out there and play ball like the backlash at this point feels like it would be enormous and that's you know right. that's the tipping point that, that right. it feels like right they uh, yeah they no longer had a choice is, is kind of my point because mm-hmm. up until this year that's what they had done yeah yeah mm-hmm. so speaking of um, players expressing their opinions. I don't know if you all saw, but Kerry Walsh, Walsh Jennings, who was I the Olympic volleyball this. player, um, ta- posted on social media how, how she went shopping without a mask uh, as a little experience in being brave and had a rambling post about how consenting to simple safety protocols was had crushed our society, people's livelihoods, our children's spirit, and the fabric of our world. <laughs> and it just got a, it got a lot of people up in arms, justifiably so, because one, it's wrong. Like she's discounting like centers of disease control prevention and prevention's guidance on masks. But also like even her players, their fellow colleagues, like another volleyball player responded, I can't believe how selfish this post is and even her own sister was like you are better than this so this is just an example of i think players have a lot of power but unfortunately sometimes they use that power you know to protest in a way that is a bit misinformed and genuinely or is um illustrating their privilege well yeah i I read about that and i I found it stunning and the uh like stunning in its you know backwardness the um (laughs) Yeah, I mean that was a boneheaded move, and then they like brag about it on social media. Felt really, I know. really not, I know. you know, yeah. well thought out. And now, some final thoughts. So my ticket key takeaway is: we're seeing more protests than ever during this administration. And on the one hand, it's well justified, but on the other, it's good to see because, like Ryan said, and I think I've said in previously these things are bubbling to the surface and you know they can't be ignored anymore in sports, in society, around racial injustice. But what, what going back to our previous episode a little bit too is um, 
we're starting to see some results from them, which is good. Um, you know, for example, Douglas Park, you know, the NFL, you know, even, even if the hand was forced by those owners, it was forced, which is something I think uh, better than what it was before. Um, so I think it's good to see that progress. Also with protests, there's different ways to do it. And, you know, you can protest by voting, you know, just to ever remind everyone that's coming, like make sure and register vote if you can and vote. Um, and you can put your money towards organizations and towards restaurants and towards small things in your community that you support and do your research to learn about places that maybe you shouldn't be spending your money at anymore because they don't support your values. Yeah, I, uh, I like uh, what you had to say there, Monica. Uh, it's protest is, um, is activism, right? It's um, you exercising your, your, what you can do. Um, and it's not necessarily getting in the streets for everybody. And, you know, during this exercise, uh, for this episode, I, it's, I think protest is, is synonymous with patriotism. You're fighting for a better society, a better community. Um, I think of I can't help but to think of John Lewis when I think of protest and good trouble and how many times that he must have been told that he was just a troublemaker and this isn't, you know, wasn't worth it. And he's getting beat up, literally beat up and arrested. Um, the country he's trying to improve is arresting him. So um, you can't ever, this country is all about protestism, uh, protesting, and you can't ignore that, and you shouldn't. Because if you didn't, maybe we wouldn't need to protest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I take away from uh, our session here. For me, you know, I, I think back to the protests, you know, my freshman year of college where we were being protested and, you know, what that felt like. The... Um, I think protests do make a difference and they do matter. You can change things with protesting and it doesn't happen right away. It doesn't happen um, necessarily the way you think it's going to happen or the way it should happen, but it makes a difference. And, you know, what we saw in the NFL this weekend, and I know Ryan that, you know, you take it with a grain of salt and rightfully so. Um, but, you know, that started with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee and, and everybody saying that, you know, what's he doing? And that doesn't mean anything. And, you know, now you have, you know, every player in the NFL wearing the, the name of a victim of social justice, you know, to try and to try and shine a light on that and to, to do honor to those people. Kaepernick made a difference, you know, and the, he, he, he made all those players think about it. He made all the owners think about it. He made all of us watching the games think about it. So, you know, to me, my big takeaway is that it, sometimes it feels like you're, you're not getting anything done. Sometimes it feels like it's, you know, like it's shouting at the wind or, or whatever, but it does make a difference. And, you know, if you change one mind, you, it's worth it. And, and that's a victory. Um, if you make somebody think about something a different way, you know, that's a victory. Um, victories don't always come in the big dramatic forms you think they're going to come in. It's, it's just the slow, steady push toward change, you know, and that, that's what that's what we're trying to do here. It's not going to happen overnight. It's that slow, steady push and you just have to keep on pushing. We close each episode of the Highfalutin podcast with a poem that relates to our theme. 
So this is a poem by Langston Hughes, Let America Be America Again. It just felt timely, the uh, Make America Great Again. I think this is another perspective on that. Um, so let America be America again. Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on the plane seeking a home where he himself is free. America was never America to me. Let America be the dream, the dreamer's dream. Let it be that great strong land of love where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme, that any man be crushed by one above. It was never America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath, but opportunity is real and life is real. Equality is in the air we breathe. There's never been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white, fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of dog eat dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of strength and hope tangled in that ancient endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need, of work the men, of take the pay, of owning everything for one's own greed. I am the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I am the worker sold to the machine. I am the Negro, servant to you all. I am the people, humble, hungry, mean. Hungry, yet today, despite the dream. Beaten, yet today, O oh, pioneers. I am the man who never got ahead. The poorest worker bartered through the years. Yet I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream in the old world while still a serf of kings, who dreamt a dream so strong, so brave, so true, that even yet its mighty daring sings. In every brick and stone, in every furrow turned, that's made America the land it has become. Oh, I am this man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home. For I'm the one who left dark Ireland's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lee and torn from a black America strand I came to build a homeland of the free. The free? Who said the free? Not me, surely not me. The millions on relief today, the millions shot down when we strike, the millions who have nothing for our pay, for all the dreams we've dreamed and all the songs we've sung and all the hopes we've held and all the flags we've hung, the millions who have nothing for our pay except the dream that's almost dead today. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet, and yet must be the land where every man is free, the land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me, who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain must bring back our mighty dream again. Sure, call me an ugly name you choose. The steel of freedom does not stain. From those who live like leeches on people's lives, we must take back our land again. America, oh yes, I say it plain. America never was America to me. And yet I swear this oath, America will be. Out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies, we, the people, must redeem the land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains and the endless plain, all, all the stretch of these great green states and make America 
again. Thank you for listening to the Highfalutin Podcast. Please make sure to check our website, highfalutinmedia.com, for more episodes and related content.